Good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are going to worship and uh, lift up the name of the Lord. Um, you're invited to stand if you're able, and let's uh, let's sing.
by faith the prophet saw a day when the long before messiah would appear with the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the grave Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we're so glad that you're here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out the Connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. It's easy to get distracted by our busy lives. We lose focus on what matters most and forget to spend time with our Creator and Savior. Let's reconnect with the Lord. We invite you and your family to join us Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. for our weekly prayer night. Gather with us as we take time to refocus our lives on God and refresh our spirits in His presence. Thank you. Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day. Uh, Labor Day. Uh, we've been celebrating it for 141 years. It's a long time. Uh, but really, I mean, uh, labor has been celebrated and suffered throughout human history, right? Forever. When people um, first started working, there was a sense of celebration. If the harvest has come in, we, we found something to eat. Um, the pharaohs built the pyramids to honor their workers. You know that. Uh, all the workers volunteered to do it. Uh, it was a celebration of labor to this very day. Uh, the British figured out that children loved working in coal mines and factories. 
so they had a lot of them there. Um, the Greeks and the Romans thought so. Um, that was a good idea. But the history of labor has been one of toil and trouble for most people. You think about it. And so the question comes to mind, is work a curse? Uh, somebody said work is a four-letter word. Work is something that you want to avoid if at all possible. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you look at the, the course of human history, those who can have, have gotten out of doing any kind of work. Let that sink in, because we're going to talk about what that means as we move through the morning. The Greeks and Romans thought work was beneath a human being's dignity. And so therefore they had slaves, they had subjected people. Uh, history has continued that theme, serfs and sharecroppers. Um, is work a curse? Uh, here's what Scripture says, Genesis three seventeen to 19. Cursed is the ground because of you. This is talking, talking about human disobedience to God. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Are you with me so far? In answering this question, is work a curse? It will produce thorns and thistles for you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. On that happy note, I just want to say happy Labor Day to you. <laughs> Welcome to the celebration of labor. Uh, According to the Gallup poll, 85% of Americans hate their jobs. 85% of Americans hate their jobs. The other 15% apparently are lying. <laughs> do you love your job or do you hate your job? Uh, depending on the day, right? Here's the funny thing, though. We love, we love movies and TV shows about work, which makes sense. I mean, we, we spend half our time at work. And so a sitcom, a comedy, a tragedy, whatever, is, is either about something that happens at home or something that happens through work. I won't ask for a show of hands uh, or you call out a title, but what's your favorite work-oriented film or TV show? Uh, every generation has them. Every generation produces films or television programs or other kinds of creative media that uh, is about work, is situated in work. And you can probably think of those. If you're, if you're extremely old, uh, you would say, oh, yeah, I can think of some really interesting shows. If you're extremely young, you'd say, oh, yeah. And if you're somewhere extremely in the middle, um, you probably have a lot of shows uh, that you are looking forward to seeing or that you like to watch. Uh, I don't know if you watched The Office. It was so popular in Great Britain, it came to the United States. That show in the United States was so uh, popular, uh, it spun off its own show called Parks and Recreation. If you've ever watched any, any, any of those shows, you know they're about work. Um, the, the infamous Ted Lasso. It's about a guy taking on a job in a different culture in a sport that he knew nothing about. Immediately interesting, right? And when Ted shows up, everybody's leaning in going, what is this guy going to do? And then when he starts doing it, we're all thinking, oh, this isn't going to work. And it doesn't work for a long time in a lot of ways, but all of a sudden you think, wait, it's working. What's going on here? Uh, amazing. Uh, how about spy movies or, or detective shows? I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. Those are shows about somebody at work. Some guy goes to work, he puts on his, his gun, or her, you know, she has her, her purse holstered in her purse, and they deal with work stuff as they deal with the world. Uh, if, you, if, if you've seen any of the James Bond movies, maybe you've seen one, maybe you've heard about them. Um, if you've seen any of the Born Identity, if you've seen... Any of the, of the inevitable shows, I mean, the, the Netflix, et cetera, is thick with them. During COVID, you probably, probably watched a ton of detective and spy-oriented shows. All of them were located in somebody's office. And from that office, they went out into the world. Uh, and so think about it. Uh, we are just obsessed with being entertained, moved, motivated, inspired, uh, comforted, I guess, by watching people do their work and overcome evil, right? Can you relate to this? That as much as we, uh, the, the majority of Americans would say, I don't like my work, they really like watching stuff about work. Uh, you could not be a country western singer and not sing songs about work. And, and, uh, and you, you're listening, you think, this is a great song. Uh, why, why? Well, it makes sense because work is such a big part of life. We will try to find good work in the most unlikely situations. <clears throat> when I was a kid, my dad brought home one of his friends from the bar, 
And there, I, I come home uh, from school, they're sitting there talking, and this guy proceeds to do these amazing card tricks. I mean, not just you know, pick a card, you find your card. He would tell you a story with cards, and the last card would be the end of the story. It was unbelievable. I said, this is, I must have been like 13 or 14. I said, this is mind-boggling. That must have taken so much time and so much discipline. How did you learn how to do that? Where did you discover the capacity to do this? He goes, San Quentin. I'm like, San Quentin, that's a prison. He's like, yeah. What else are you going to do in prison? Card tricks uh, and survival. We want to find a way to do work. Uh, there's an old movie about World War II called Bridge Over the River Kwai. Uh, the guy who was the hero in that went on to inspire generations of young people about a life, uh, living a life of adventure. The whole point was <clears throat> to keep the men occupied and eventually to subvert what they thought was the enemy's purposes. So they built this railroad out in the middle of nowhere, and at the very end, they blew it up. Phenomenal work. So part of the movie is the horror of war. Part of it is the inhumanity of man to man. But the other part would be the genius of work in the most unlikely place with the most unlikely things. If you've ever been in a difficult, desperate situation where you didn't have what you needed, but you needed to fix something so you could get out of that situation, you become incredibly creative. Uh, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that um, uh, Apollo 13 uh, was delivered through duct tape. I mean, what? A zillion dollar project and you're saved by duct tape? Yeah. The ingenuity of people coming up with things to uh, deal with life situations. It's all about work. Just take for a second, think about what your work has led you to do your formal work in terms of your job, but the stuff you do to create value where otherwise there was no value, or to create um, something that was functional where there was nothing functional, uh, or where you did some things that made you feel more alive for having done them. That's all under this umbrella that we call work. We want to see the systems of life better. We want to see those systems changed. Um, bad management. Uh, corrupt unions, bored or abused people. Think about Labor Day. It's really a union movement. It was a movement that came out of labor that increasingly became more organized. It was absolutely essential uh, for the safety and the benefit of workers that unions came into being. Unions were a very wonderful and powerful way for, for workers to have a voice. And, and the history of unions is a messy, violent history to overcome the resistance of owners and managers who wanted to control capital and control processes in a way that subjugated people. The roles have now flipped. That's what unions do. Unions uh, co-opt political processes. Uh, they, they make people feel like, I wish they didn't exist. Think about Henry Kaiser, World War II. Henry Kaiser was a construction guy, owned lots of construction companies. One of them built, helped build Hoover Dam. And during the war, we were ill-prepared for the war. Henry Kaiser was asked and tasked with ramping up a navy that didn't exist. Uh, he did it magnificently. Uh, he was heroic in what he did. But one of his concerns was that all of these people he was bringing in uh, to work for him, he already had thousands of them, now there's tens and hundreds of thousands of them, they had families and they had needs, health needs, and so he created Kaiser Permanente. Brilliant, isn't it? This guy was so wealthy, he didn't have to think about anybody but himself. And yet his thinking was, well, how do I serve my nation? But how do I serve the workers? How do I lift up labor and honor them and, and care for them? Powerful, powerful, inspiring story. Do you know that in the next few weeks, 85,000 Kaiser employees are going to go on strike? Potentially? 85,000. And do you know how many people are waiting for surgeries and medical procedures and whose lives will be really seriously disrupted? I'm not talking about the virtues of whether they need more or, or want more, but the fact is that it doesn't matter if we're talking about managers and owners or workers. Human beings have a way of making work miserable. And this, is, this drives us crazy. We want it to be better. We think it could and should be better. And that's how God intended it. So to answer the question, is work a curse? No, work is not a curse. 
We experience work as a curse, but it's not intended by God to be a curse. Let me read what God says about work. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind, humankind, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It's a big job. I have an impossible job for you to do because I made you in my image and I do the impossible. I can make something out of nothing. I can make creation out of chaos. And this is your purpose. This is for which I've made you and we will be partners in this together. Isn't this an incredible statement we see in Genesis chapter 1? God blessed them. (laughs) Notice the word isn't God cursed them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it does not mean trash it, subjugate it, destroy it. Make it less than what it is or what it could be. Subduing it means develop it. Our role, our, our, our innate identity as beloved children of God is that we were created to be developers. To take the raw materials of this world and to turn them into things of value in a way that would honor God and bless people. What went wrong? Well, what went wrong was we thought we could improve on that work, that that mandate from God was not enough, wasn't sufficient. Somehow he was holding out on us, and we listened to a lie and and responded to that lie, and it turned everything upside down. And we experienced work often more as a curse uh, than a blessing. And yet you've had those moments in your life when you're doing hard work and you're so into it. You are thrilled. You are so caught up in the work. You said, I love this. I love these interactions with people. In fact, the people I know who deliver medical care or education, they love the idea of delivering those things. Passing on those assets, providing those services, raising people up from from ignorance to knowledge, from, from illness to health. And what is their biggest frustration? Not that they're doing what they're doing. It's that they're living in an environment that makes it so hard to do it. If we had a quick interview right now with every medical person in this room, they'd say, I love medicine, I hate medicine. That is, I love being involved as a deliverer of goods and services in the medical arena. I hate the business of medicine. And you can take that and apply it to every industry. The way that human beings have the capacity to game everything, to take a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing, a well-thought-through, well-executed thing, and turn it upside down. Uh, we could talk for hours about this and give thousands of stories about this. Uh, you could give thousands of stories about this. You could just say, yeah, here's another example, another example. In my industry, here's what I've seen. Here's what I've been crazy, driven crazy by. We know it could be better. But it says again in Genesis 2, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's the second telling of this creation story. And in this next telling, uh, it's not good for man to be alone, and so he's given a helper and again, that helper isn't a, subsidi- a, you know, a, a, a subjected uh, um, person. Uh, that's meant to be full-on helper. Helper was a co-equal in creation. So now you have man, male and female, humankind, male and female, as full partners in doing God's work. It's, all, it's getting better. You know, uh, as one, uh, one person said, you know... Um, um, I can't remember what he said. Anyway, so, um, no, the idea that, you know, when you have a partner, your burdens are halved and your blessings are doubled. Your burdens are halved and your blessings are doubled. And this is what God did. You know, why? Because work is really good in community. It's great to do good work on your own. You've probably spent hours doing something you really loved, and it was, it was work. You said, well, it's my hobby. Well, it's work, though, creative work. But then you get to do it with other people. It somehow goes to a whole other level. And so we were created for good work and good works. Can you imagine going to Jesus' shop? Jesus uh, was called, we call him a carpenter. Technically, he was a technon. A technon would be a worker who, who works in all kinds of things, sort of the Renaissance man approach to being a, a worker, that you can work in wood, you can work in various uh, mediums you know, uh, of material, 
But whatever you do, is, it's perfectly done to meet the need of the client who wants it. Whether it's a pot, whether it's a wooden thing, uh, whether it's uh, made out of fabric, whatever. A technon was somebody who was an artisan, which we call them, an artisan. I love it when I meet technons. We had to have a water, um, um, hot water heater replaced, and the, um, the guy that came in to do it, Nacho, uh, is my hero when it comes to plumbing. Nacho shows up, and he says, yeah, I could do that, and he does it. And, but I went to look at what he had done, and he had, he had re-plumbed this stuff you know, with copper tubing. But I, I, I looked at it, and I thought of eighth-grade metal shop, and I'm thinking, this guy made a, an elegant, perfect uh, way of delivering what he needed to deliver to the water heater. But the, but the soldering was immaculate. The soldering, I said, Nacho, this is, looks like art metal. And he's kind of smiling. He's a very humble guy. He goes, he goes oh, you know, I said, this is so, this is elegant. I don't, want to put the, I don't want to close the door on this thing. I want to leave it open. I go, check out the soldering. Beautiful. So, if, you know, Nacho's the kind of guy you go, oh, he does high-quality work. Guess who we ask for other workers? We, Nacho, do you know somebody who can do painting and plaster work? Do you know? And everybody who Nacho knows is, we just know they're going to show up and be really good at whatever trade, craft they're doing. They're artisans. They take things that you think, well, oh, yeah, it's just paint. It's just paint. I'm just a plumber. I'm just an electrician. Somehow they elevate it to something elegant. This is what Jesus was about. You think that somebody had to go back to Jesus' shop and say, this thing is a piece of junk. I, that's not what I asked for. It fell apart first time I tried to use the darn plow. No. Can you imagine going to his shop and seeing the simplicity but the elegance of what he had done? Now, this is not a romanticized view of Jesus. It's simply saying the one who made all creation, through whom all things were created, Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossians, if through him all things were created in this magnificently beautiful world, filled with stuff we can't even see until we learn how to get under the water deep enough and see that's what that is, or get to high places and see things that are growing on mountain faces or the ecosystems in different environments that we've normally not had access to. You keep getting this deeper appreciation for the creation. That same one, Jesus, now God in the flesh, is doing work. And what kind of work do you think it would be? Good work. Dorothy Sayers said, the definition of Christian work is work done well. Because you're honoring and glorifying God in doing your work. Now, in a fallen world, in a fallible world, where we make mistakes, we're not perfect workers. But even that I love. When I see somebody who's working and something doesn't go right, I love it when they own it and they figure out a solution. My esteem for them goes higher. Because they've really taken it seriously and looked at it thoughtfully. So there's a deep intelligence, there's a deep integrity to good work. So we never ever disparage good work. The most modest kind of good work or the most elegant kind of good work, you know, the, the stuff that gets a lot of press and they auction them off, you know, whatever. And sometimes the stuff we see auctioned off, we say, why is that valued when this is so much more valuable? But that's the craziness of our world. That's a whole different story about the way our, our world thinks and functions economically. But we were created for good work and good works, making a living and making a life. We don't live to work or work to live. We do both. We work to live and we live to work because that's our inherent identity given to us by God himself. Are you with me on this? This is a bedrock foundational theological thing. I think of it as theological anthropology. You know, what does it mean to be a human being? It's one who knows how to love and knows how to work. What's the thing we look for in young people? In your own kids, grandkids, uh, their friends? Do they have a work ethic? When you see somebody, you meet somebody with a work ethic, uh, you love them. You think, oh my gosh, this is a person I could depend on. Again, they don't have to be perfect. They just have to be resourceful enough to say, I'm learning and growing in how I do my work. You so value them. They're the people you want on your team. They're the last uh, you want to let go of. And this is sometimes where the systems of work in our world 
precludes people who are really good because somebody's ahead of them in the seniority list. And I don't, I'm not talking about ageism. I'm talking about somebody who's at some point said, I'm really tired of doing it, but I'm going to slow walk it. I'm going to quit slowly and subtly, and I'm going to live it out till I get to the end. And Now, you might say, well, there's big economic pressures that they have to do that. They have to do that. But at some point, what they have to do is say, how do I re- re-energize my approach to my job? That's what they have to do. Why? Because the person who's coasting is dying, not thriving. They're flailing, not flourishing. And so uh, the idea is we, we want those people on our team. You want the, the most senior person because they have the most wisdom, right? Typically. Even if they can't do everything they used to do, they can direct somebody else how to do it. So this is the beauty of, of work throughout the whole spectrum of life. Little kids love to work. You know this. Little kids want to help mom, dad, can I help? We often initially make the mistake of going, no, I can do it a lot faster, and you might get hurt. And then we catch ourselves and think, wait a minute. Yeah, you can help me make the bed. It'll take a day or two, but we'll get there. Yeah, we can cook together. Uh, it might be a Band-Aid or a little bit of salve, you know, on a burn or something, but, you know, I'll, I'll make sure it's safe. But, yeah, well, I'll go through the tedious slowing it down in order for you to get to participate in work. Why? Because in that inherent sense that work is really good, we want to foster that, encourage that. Now, the mistake would be we would start with something that kids would feel like is punitive and, uh, you know, totally punishing. I remember moving from England to Arizona, and then <clears throat> one time, you know, my dad driving us out into the yard to pick weeds on this barren, parched earth under the broiling sun. When you thought, I had my bathing suit on, I was on my way to, you know, the pool, and now I'm doing this hard labor. I hate work. Now, weeds need to be pulled, but maybe there's another way of coming at it. Hey, guess what? We're going to build a garden. And this is the kind of garden we're going to build because this is the kind of uh, environment we live in. But we're going to make something so beautiful, it's going to make it a lot, more, a lot more fun to be in this yard. Are you up for that? Yeah, what's the plan? Well, here's what we have to do. We have to do these things and these things and these things because we're building a garden. And what does that do? That captures a kid's imagination. They go, really? Can I, can I do it? Could I do it? Do I get to do it? Well, I don't. Let me think about it. Um, okay, fine. You know. And so we buy little dinky shovels, little buckets. We, 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 we let them be a part of it. Now, we know that they can't do it for eight hours. Uh, maybe, maybe seven and a half. I don't know. But no, they can do it in little bits. But we want to foster that sense that this is an ennobling thing. This is a thing that represents God's best for us, learning how to express ourselves creatively in work by adding value, increasing value respecting materials, etc. Powerful, powerful lessons. And that's why to the very end of our life, we're saying, what is my work? We're, we're, that's where we're going in this morning, asking that question. So we're created for good works and good work, making a living, making a life. We live to work, we work to live. And there's a larger perspective that makes this possible. So when the inherent curse of work, inherent to the degree that we see the consequences of human disbe- you know, be, um, disobedience, we recapture that initial promise of the blessing of work. Uh, you know uh, the name Christopher Wren, uh, 1666, London basically burned down. It was horrible. The, the city burned for days and days and days and days and days and smoked and smoked and smoked for weeks and weeks and weeks. And for months and months and months, it was rubble. And you know how the weather is there. So you can't just wait around and, or, or call somebody. They went to work. And they realized, you know, this is our opportunity to build a better city. It really deserved to burn because it had had become just a giant slum. Uh, And the economic issues, et cetera, you know, all the social uh, issues were there. They caused it to be a a horrible place to live. So now they said, let's start new and fresh. So they commissioned Christopher Wren to design and build St. Paul's. If you've been to St. Paul's, you know that you can go up into the highest part of that church, that beautiful church in the middle of London, and you can whisper, and you can hear each other under that dome. Uh, It's magnificent. So Christopher Wren spent 46 years working on St. Paul's, including the design and the construction of it. And to this day, we walk in and say, wow, that's good work. And so you've heard this story about him doing an inspection walk on the site, and seeing three workers, and you see variations on this story, uh, could be, you know, he, uh, well, he, he asks them what they're doing. Well, and you, you've heard the version probably of, 
Well, I'm, I'm laying bricks. He asks the next guy, well, I'm, I'm building a wall. And he asks the third person, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral. Or one version of it is, I'm, what are you doing? I'm cutting stone. I don't know about the brick story because it's three. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember any bricks at St. Paul's, but the first guy says, I'm cutting stone. Okay, he asks the second guy, what are you doing? I'm making three and six. Three shillings, six pence for a day's work. I'm earning a living. All right, and what are you doing? I am helping Christopher Wren build something to the glory of God. Now, all three are right. A worker's doing the work. Uh, somebody's making a living. But the, but the rightest answer really is, yeah, I'm working, I'm making a living, but this is what motivates me and sustains me in what could be dangerous, dreary, drudgery in all kinds of weather, hot or cold. I am building something to the glory of God. Does that resonate with you? And the reason that story has come down, and even in different versions of it, is not that the story was fake, it's that it's a real story, and it captures something so profound and so universal that the details aren't as important as the point. So Paul, right into Colossians, in the world that says work is for losers, people who are absolutely dependent on the good you know, wishes of a lord over the, the estate, or they're slaves pressed into service, or they can't do anything else, so they're stuck. Paul writes this to these people who, many of, you know, this whole cross-section, from the, the poorest of the poor to the wealthiest of the wealthy, from the guy that owns Costco to the guy that works at Costco, from, from the guy that owns Home Depot to the guy that, woman that works at Home Depot. He, he writes this to everybody in Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord as if you were working for the Lord, because you are. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Uh, I had to make a run to Home Depot, so I, I'm, I'm at Home Depot at 6 a.m., which I think is awesome that a store opens at 6 a.m. And um, I needed some... PVC and I need some other stuff and, and so I walk in there and you know the place you can get lost there and, and never be found. So I always bring breadcrumbs with me when I go to Home Depot so I can find my way back out you know at the end of it and so this thing is like aisle 250 you know bin you know 74 so I find my way back there and this petite woman comes up to me she said can I help you? I said yeah yes thank you you know you know help me she was amazing. She was just sparkly at 6 a.m. And I'm telling you what I need, and I need these, you know, you're allowed to get some, some cuts in your PVC, you know. And I said, I need this and these, these lengths. And she was just honest. She goes, oh, you know what, I know where I can. She's running around getting all this stuff done. I, and I said, I got to look for some other stuff. She goes, oh, not a problem. I'll be. Well, by the time I was done, I didn't want to leave. I mean, it was kind of like, I like these people. I like this place. Everybody's so friendly and warm here. Uh, it was just an incredible experience. I was having a Colossians 3, 23, 24 experience. I really wanted to say, hey, uh, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you do this because this is what you do to glorify God? I mean, it was apparent she was doing it that, that way. Whether that's the reasoning, I don't know. Because on my way to meeting her, I kept seeing guys going, they see me walking, going, uh, and they, go, they just turn, turn, go away. You see guys hanging out, talking. And, and uh, you see people approach the guys and jump on a little, you know, um, forklift and drive away. <laughs> but there were a handful of people who were just going, hey, hey, I'm over here. Do you need help? They were the Colossians 3, 23 to 24 people. They're the people, whenever they show up to, to, to solder copper or to put stitches in your body, you just like being with them. Some of you know Gene Rumsey. Gene Rumsey. I said, Gene, how did you, why did you become a surgeon? He goes, well, partly because my dad's a surgeon, but partly because <clears throat> I was, I was uh, body surfing off of Laguna Beach, and uh, I got hit by a boat, and it, it cut my arm or shoulder. It was some horrific accident as a kid, teenager. You know, they took me to the hospital, and this doctor who helped me was so rough. He was so mean. A ah, stupid kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. Jesus said, it was horrible. And I thought, my dad doesn't do that. 
no kid should have to go through the trauma of the accident and then be treated this way. I want to be the kind of surgeon my dad is, right? Um, and he went on to do great things. He created the trauma system. The first trauma case in San Diego was a kid who heard somebody burgling his car, walks out, and he's stabbed by the assailant trying to steal his car. He's, he's you know, like 18 or 19. He's got now a knife cl dangerously close to his heart. They put him in an ambulance, and otherwise they would have had to take him somewhere and hope somebody could help him. Now they had a trauma system. They call ahead. Gene's in the parking lot. They show up with a kid, and Gene's massaging his heart as they're walking in to the OR. And to this day, you know, was it 35 years later, he gets postcards and updates from this guy and his family, and it moves you to tears thinking about it. It's a Colossians 3, 23 to 24 moment. A little petite lady, half the size of all the big dudes working in the, in the part of Costco, uh, Home Depot I was in, or a Gene Rumsey. It's all Colossians 3, 23 to 24. <clears throat> Miss Allison passed away. Miss Allison was the hero of kindergarten kids and their parents at La Jolla Elementary. Miss Allison would show up, always dressed to the nines, high heels, looked like a movie star, and she'd get on her knees and go, oh, honey, so glad to have you in my class. And you're thinking, was she talking to me? <laughs> oh, she's talking to the kid, you know. She was just an epic person. Uh, she just, and, and she was so good that she, the whole school glowed because of her presence. And over time, people came to understand that she was a follower of Jesus. And nobody made a, a bit of a peep about, oh, really? What is she doing in that class? Uh, she's blowing people's minds in that class. Every parent wants to work in their kid's class. Every kid walks out going, I can't wait to conquer the world. That was Miss Allison, kindergarten. That was, a, if you drew a map of the world, it all starts in Miss Allison's classroom. And it goes out from there. These are the people you want in your life. It doesn't matter what profession they're in, what, what work they do. You want that person to be the one you're dealing with, right? Because somehow you say work is a really good thing. And it makes us want to be a better worker. And so, again, Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, in a time that the church, the young church, it's a movement now. It's broken out of cultural boundaries. It's gone beyond the Jewish community. Uh, <clears throat> it's now spreading throughout Europe um, and even into Asia. And, and very quickly it's going to go to Spain. And um, by you know, 300 A.D. it's in England. Um, and the people are discouraged. And he says this to them. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That is not to say, don't feel things. Let nothing move you from this commitment to doing your work as unto the Lord. For his greater glory and to bless people in his name. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, we sometimes think, I think, my, my observation is, Oh, you're laboring the Lord. Uh, you must be doing some religious thing. You're laboring the Lord. And you must be doing um, Sunday school evangelism, some mercy ministry. No, your labor that is in the Lord. Because whatever labor you do, you are in the Lord, and therefore your labor is in the Lord. You don't say, I'm a Christian plumber. If I saw somebody had a truck that said Christian plumber, I wouldn't hire him. I think you're gaming the word Christian. I just want the guy to show up and be an awesome plumber. And it makes me want to go, hey, are you a Christian? Or I probably would say, you know, why are you so good at this and so committed to doing it at a high level? That's what I would ask. Why do you do this? And I love hearing the answers from the nachos of the world. Well, what else would I do? If I'm going to show up, I want to do it. And I get, more, I get a lot of referrals. Everybody wants me to come do their work. So every person is made more alive or less alive by their aptitude and their attitude toward work. I just had, I had the worst customer experience of my life. I've never bought anything from Wayfair. I will never buy anything from Wayfair again. I don't care how good their products are. Um, I had the most crazy series of customer service uh, interactions. 
And I thought, is this like a unique one-off thing? I started to do the, you know, I never look at the reviews. I started to look at the reviews, you know, just a litany of these people are imbeciles, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and I thought, what a sad thing. Do the people who have put all the money into making this company and all the incredible products they sell know that the interaction that counts most is customer service and, and travels like wildfire through the economy? Do they know that, that people are being treated poorly dismissively, disrespectfully, even if you say, hey, listen, uh, said it was going to ship on here, it's here, I'm on that date. Oh, no, no, no. That means it could go from here to eternity. And then, oh, yeah, it's not going to cap for, and it wasn't like, oh, man, so sorry, well, let's see what we can do. The irony is I had to order, um, I'm telling you my work history now, I had to replace a little water pressure thing, a regulator, and I, I mentioned this last week, 80 PSI, supposed to be about 60. And so what do we do before the pipes blow up? Uh, one guy, different guy than Nacho says, oh, for 650 bucks, I can fix this for you. I'm thinking, how many things, what kinds of things could I buy for 650 bucks? I just go online to look up, oh, it's 68 bucks for the exact same thing. I just have to undo some you know, nuts and pull it out and clean it up and put it in. So meanwhile, I, I order it. And it's, it's the day I'm supposed to get it. And I get, a, I get a, a text from the company going, oh, oh, we've been following your order. FedEx has made a big mistake. Uh, it's not going to get to you for a couple more days. We are so sorry. We're going we're gonna, to uh, dismiss the charge, the delivery charge. We'll take care of that. The next two days, I'm getting follow-ups from my new best friend. Uh, she's saying, hey, uh, here's the status of your order. And, you know, and by, the, and by the time it arrives, she goes, hey, the, the order should have arrived today. And I'm thinking, again, I, I, yeah, is your sister at Home Depot? You know, kind of a thing. Um, powerful, powerful, powerful. It made me feel more alive. It made her feel more alive knowing that I'm saying, you are so fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm doing this in parallel with my interaction with Wayfair. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I want, I, don't, I want to buy plumbing supplies. I don't, know, I don't have a need, so I'm bummed out. I have no reason to buy more stuff from this company. Each of us can bring life to others in our work if we do it with love. It's that simple. It's that impossible, but it's that simple. Why? Why would love all of a sudden enter into the equation? Isn't this a transaction? Yes, it is. But when Jesus was asked what the two greatest commandments were, we could say it in unison, you've heard it so many times, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. In these you fulfill the law. In these you fulfill the law. Now here's what's funny. Every human being is created with that resonating in them. Even if they represent themselves or see themselves, uh, explain themselves as an atheist or, or an agnostic. They still resonate with that desire to do good work. This is inherent to being a human being. So if you meet somebody who says, I'm an atheist, I do really great work because I have high standards. Okay, you know where those come from? Those come from God. He created you with that capacity, that desire. So it's the saddest thing when a person who proclaims Christ would say, um, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I just kind of do whatever I need to do to get through it. I'll just kind of mail it in as they say. So each of us can bring life to others in our work if we do it with love, and therefore we will fulfill the commandments. Again, you don't have to be perfect, because even when there's errors, mistakes, inevitable hiccups, how we recover and how we then own it and, and seek solutions uh, becomes part of our work. Part of our work. So if somebody did bring something back to Jesus' workshop, and they said, hey, you know, you make perfect stuff. I don't know how you do it. And Jesus and his going, I do, you know. And, and it was a wood, let's say it was a piece of wood on a plow that was inherently weak and it split. Nobody could have seen that. It's just the result of the material. What do you think Jesus would do? Oh, uh, couldn't have come from my shop. No, I don't do that kind of stuff. Or what did you do to do this? You know, it's meant for plowing, not for prying. You know that. <laughs> no, he said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's make a new one. So sorry, you went through this. And the line gets longer in front of your shop. He's alive, and you feel more alive being in his presence. This is the power of work. So what is your work in this season of your life? 
What is your work in this season of your life? Uh, first of all, let me ask you this. Just remove the phrase, I'm just, from your vocabulary. Well, I'm just a kid. I'm just an old retired person. I'm just a, I'm just a, what is your work? Ah, well, let's, let's do a little, we can do a little matrix, you know, age, stage, responsibilities. Maybe your work is your kids. Ah, your, your work as a parent to protect and provide for and, and to pray for and to prepare, ultimately to partner with your kids. That's what your, your work is. Yeah, but I also work at, you know, pavilions. <laughs> I also work at Scripps Health. I also work at Google. All right, well, okay, let's take, make, expand the matrix. What else do you do? I, I, what's your job there? Well, I do this. Okay. And what about, well, my mom's getting older. She needs me, me to be you know, taking her to doctor's appointments and explaining things. All right. So you start to see, wow, you have a big spectrum of work. So it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You have work to do. There is no concept of retirement in the Bible. We use the term retirement as kind of a shorthand. I'm changing up my rhythm of work and rest. As a follower of Jesus, we also understand that there's no such thing as secular versus sacred. Everything is sacred. That's a convenient way to divide and discount and make uh, irrelevant faith in Christ. Oh, that's a secular thing. You wouldn't want to get involved in that. No, <laughs> let me read this again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. There's no such thing as secular. It's all sacred. That doesn't mean you're walking around spouting Bible verses every, every time you see somebody, but you're living Bible verses every time you see somebody. You're acting on Bible verses every time you see somebody. See the power of this? Everything becomes sacred. People become sacred. This child is in third grade once, hopefully, if you're doing your job. I love the Hebrew word for learning. Um, it's, I teach, as I learn you, it's literally the Hebrew, I learn you, we say, I, I teach you, and then we would say, and uh, I learned from so-and-so. No, Hebrew would be, and they learned me. The power of that, nobody has learned until somebody has taught. Nobody learns anything unless somebody is teaching them or guiding them in that autodidact process of learning on your own, but somebody's guiding you and coaching you. This is the power here. So what season are you in when it comes to your work? Um, you're always going to be in some version of protecting, protecting the integrity of your craft, protecting the integrity of the workplace, uh, protecting the integrity of the worker. Are, are these workers fairly paid? Are they cared for? Let's all pull a Henry Kaiser. Are you getting cared for? Well, it ticks me off that we have a tipping culture. A tipping culture is abusive and insulting to workers. It's so tied into our economy now, everybody's trapped by it. But it's such a horrible way to treat people. Why don't we, why don't we just pay people a fair wage? Or all the, the, the bogus you know, additional fees. Just charge the right price. If it's value, people will recognize the value. People will pay for value. So what season are you in in terms of protecting something, providing for something, praying for something, preparing something, partnering with something or someone? This is your work. So I want to invite you as we go into communion to reflect on this. What is your work right now? And in your work, if you're in that middle section of life where you keep taking on work and can't let go of work, what things can you, what can you, what can you do to adjust that rhythm of work and rest? If you're not resting, it's going to undermine your work. So, so learning how to rest in those busy, busy years of our lives is super important. Easy to say, hard to do. But likewise, it's easy to say, oh, I've earned a rest. As in, I've, I've earned the right to do nothing. Uh, that's, that's a serious step in the wrong direction. What is your rhythm of work and rest right now? How, do you can, how can you adjust it? To honor and glorify God, be a good steward of you, love, the, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Caring for you is your caring for the neighbor, right? The people around you. So that's where we're going today in communion. On the night that he completed his work on earth. Think about that. 
on the night that he completed his work on earth. Jesus, who spent his entire life carrying lumber. Let that sink in. Working with his father, working in his own shop, his ministry, and the consummation, the culmination of his ministry was carrying lumber. And so as Jesus fulfilled his work, the last thing he said on the cross apparently was tetelestai, it is finished. I have finished my work. So on that night, Jesus took bread and having blessed it, broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Celebrate my work. Understand my work in you. Understand the power of my work through you as you do your work. In the same manner, uh, later in that meal, having uh, blessed it, he took this cup and said, this cup is the new covenant, the new relationship in my blood. It's a result of my work. Do this in remembrance of me. Let this be your guide, the thing that nurtures and deepens you, that satisfies you uh, as you walk one day at a time with me through life. So this is what we come to celebrate in Holy Communion, um, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. This is for anybody uh, who has faith in Christ. Uh, to, to receive it without having faith in Christ um, it says in Scripture, puts you in judgment. Puts you in a situation where you're, you're taking on something uh, that you can't bear. But if you are in Christ, if you've received Christ, so today, if you're saying, hey, I want Christ, I, I'll, see, I'll receive him right now. That's fine. You're welcome. If you've been far from Christ, come back. You're home. So as you come forward, uh, receive the, come on up if you're serving communion, uh, receive the, the elements, the bread and the cup. Uh, sit down, uh, reflect a bit. Think about where you are in this season of your life and what your work looks like. Pray, thank God, whatever you need to do, and receive Holy Communion. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your work in creation, uh, for your work in redeeming a fallen creation, for your work in accepting us just where we are, as we are, for who we are, helping us become something that we yearn for but could have never thought possible but for you. Uh, thank you for your patience, your kindness for the long discipline of love in us that allows us to experience your good work in us and your good work through us. We thank you, Lord, that work liberates us, that work inspires us, that work encourages us and empowers us and equips us to live life fully. So we thank you and praise you for that, and we want to remember that in this time of Holy Communion. And in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Come forward and receive communion when you're ready.
could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe.
What season are you in? Uh, how do you want God to meet you in this season of life so you can do your best work ever? That you can receive his work in you in a new and fresh way. That you can do his work in this world in a new and fresh way. The world is in desperately deep need for people who can assure them that there's a God who works in us for good. And that there's a God who wants us to experience and do good work in his name. To bless people, to honor him, uh, to experience life in all its fullness. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can even imagine or ask. Give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him. In every aspect of your work, in this rhythm of work and rest, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Thank you.